We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez. And today we're tackling the subject of school suspensions. There's a rising concern amongst the community members that it's just a go-to for for, uh, administrators and school officials. uh, And and we're not reaching the root cause of suspensions. And today with me I have three uh, three ladies that are going to hopefully educate us and and get us to a place of understanding a better alternative than just handing out and dishing out suspensions. I'm I'm for I'm I'm joined by members of Connect, which stands for Community Network for Engagement, Connection, and Transformation. I've got Jessica Bauer Walker, the founder and executive director of Connect, Saria, her daughter, uh, and member of the Youth Community Health uh, Worker Team, and Khadija Hussein, the lead staff uh, health worker and family advocate. Hello, ladies. How, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. It's great that they're here. Thank you very much for joining us and and hoping hoping that we can get to. A better understanding because I'm a parent. I my my I have two toddlers and they're still a few years away from grade school. But uh, it's something that I think about every day. Uh, just as far as disciplining children, it's a, it's a tough challenge. But there's every and every parent has their 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 own way of addressing that. But when it comes to our schools and how they're helping supplement that that discipline disciplinary action, uh, it's not not that easy to to address. So. Uh, at the crux of our conversation today is going to be the uh, Judith S.K. Solutions Not Suspensions Act. That's what we're here to mainly talk about. But we're going to branch out into a few things uh, with with the group from Connect. Uh, and and first off, Jessica, school suspensions. How bad is it? How bad is that that problem in our in in Buffalo public schools? We would say it's it's pretty significant. Um, this is an issue that I've been working on for more than a decade. And when we started this work, um, it was because uh, a young man, Javon Daniels, was suspended for roaming the hallways at Lafayette High School and um, was sent home and unfortunately shot and killed at a bus stop. And so that was a really tragic and extreme circumstance that was an outcome of a suspension um, for something that really didn't need to be one. And the community came together and mobilized at that time and helped to get a code of conduct written. And we have been fighting ever since, um, but these suspension numbers are still extremely high and disproportionately impacting youth of color, those that are low income and that have disabilities, and we, we really think that there's another way. Uh, I believe the numbers I had, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is from May, uh, that Bu- Buffalo Public Schools have issued 5,420 short-term suspensions and about 1,139 long-term ones. I think you mentioned that, that that's those are outdated. Yeah, those numbers. Um, the Buffalo Public Schools actually, to their credit, does a good job with uh, reporting data and updating it on mm-hmm. a weekly basis. So those were numbers from last week. They're they're even a bit higher at this point, too. So now we're looking at um, a total of 6,750 suspensions wow. this school year. 
and hopefully, uh, so tomorrow, uh, June 6th, that we're going to have a, you're going to connect is holding a press conference outside of city hall. Uh, and, and the big thing is this Judith S K solutions, not suspensions act. Can you elaborate a little bit about that? Yeah. So this has been a legislation that's been out there for, um, about eight years. It's gotten very little traction in, in recent years, but this year there has been a lot more energy around it. So we're really excited to be part of a statewide effort and the solutions and not suspension coalition in this legislation that I think gives us some real hope for change, not just for Buffalo public schools, but for districts throughout the state, because this is not a problem just in Buffalo. It really, is a serious issue across the state. And some of the bullet points of, of that act are? Some of the bullet points of that act include eliminating suspensions completely for pre-K through third, eliminating suspensions for things like insubordination and disrespect. So it mm-hmm. would only be um, even for older children for, for much more serious things. And then looking to replace suspension with other types of consequences. So um, we say a lot of the times that there are there are solutions and not suspensions. There can be consequences and accountability without sending a child home um, with no supports. And so we're looking at things like restorative justice and restorative practices and ways to create um, accountability without punishment. And a lot of that language is in this legislation as well. What's the, I mean, the, the general criticism you hear uh, is, is that the suspensions are almost a, a punishment for the parents, correct? Yeah, it is really challenging, um, especially for parents of younger children, um, and some of these long-term suspensions can be very long. We know a lot of parents who've lost their jobs because they have to stay home with their children, and um, it, it just becomes a very very challenging situation. It's actually a trauma for, for most children and families because they're removed from that environment. They're removed mm-hmm. from the opportunity to be getting an education. There's limited opportunities for them to still um, be receiving learning while they're they're suspended. And so parents are put in a very difficult situation of um, trying to figure out how to work, how to make sure their children still get an education. And the research shows even the shorter term suspensions, which are five days or less, can significantly set back uh, a child child and and a family and so um, it's a serious thing it should should not be used as much as it's used the short-term suspensions are five days at most and then there's longer than that Oh, yes. Um, right now, that's another provision of the Solutions Not Suspension Act, because by law right now, children can be suspended for up to 180 days, which is basically the entire school year. Wow. And so we've talked to a lot of um, families that have been impacted by that and students who've you know, made a mistake and, and really lost significant ground on, on their education. And, and again, parents losing jobs or put in situations that are extremely difficult, especially when you look at the base of families that we have in Buffalo Public Schools, which are also um, extremely vulnerable. Um, it just, it, it's a situation, it's a, it's a major equity issue that um, is really doing a significant amount of harm to our families. It feels like a, a kind of a stopgap or a bandage uh, for, for something that, that really, it's not addressing the, 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 the root cause. That's what we're, that's what Connect is really uh, advocating for, and also, I mean, do you do you, do we see that that students get affected or feel that that any progress is made by suspensions? Is it, it seems like it's almost like from from my my own limited experience uh, seeing others get suspended, it's almost like a vacation. It's almost a day a day or two off. 
um, without your parents if they're working, and and then what? Then you're just left to your own devices. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't feel like a very accurate way of, of tackling the the needs of of each of these students. Yeah, we don't really believe that. Um, you know, it doesn't really teach anything. There's nothing that's happening except sending right. students home. I'd love for Khadijah and Saria to yeah. weigh in with their perspective does, on this. How does how does I mean I. I, I thankfully I, from Miami-Dade County, I never never got a suspension. But then again, uh, I, I I wasn't facing the seemingly disproportionate uh, cases here. What goes on when you get suspended? What what what's is there? Okay, um, so I've been suspended at least like two times now, um, and it's just like you're supposed to get a letter sent home. Um, a lot of the time that doesn't happen. But um, you get sent to the office or, like, wherever you're being sent to, a counselor's office as well, you could be sent to. Um, and then you wait for your parents to get picked up. Um, and then you just get sent home. And there's that. You're supposed to come in for a conference. Mm-hmm. Um, but depending, you know, on the situation, it, it varies. Um, so it's, it is, like you said, it, it kind of is like a vacation. We kind of go home and we don't really have to do anything. Um because there is like a online tutor sometimes, but it's just it's really not that long, and um, it's just confusing. So most of the time, kids don't even log on because you're not really learning anything. So mm-hmm. you really just go home and you serve your suspension and come back to school. And between that whole time, um, there's just a lot of like missed work that you're gonna end up having to catch up on. Yeah. That ends up becoming very stressful. Um, depending on, you know, what the situation was, um, you're already dealing with that stress as well. Um, a lot of us kids, we have a lot of things going on at home. Um, mental health is a really big issue, a really big crisis actually right now um, for us. So there's just a lot of um, other factors that feed into the whole thing. Um, but it really like it really isn't much of a, a punishment. It's only doing harm to everybody around us. So. And just the fact that it's it's almost not even accounted for the work that you do or don't do during that suspension. It's, it's almost once again, it's almost like lost time. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that's 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 both short term and long term suspension. I didn't even know about the long term that that it's up to a school year. That's that's wild. That's what what's the lesson there for anybody? What's it's more of a hindrance than than anything, if you ask me. Um once again, we're speaking with a group from Connect, Community Network for Engagement, Connection, and Transformation, Jessica Bauer-Walker, Saria Walker, and Khadijah Hussein. And uh, all, so tomorrow, a, a press conference on the steps of City Hall at 1.30, correct? And the hope there is that the legislation, legislator uh, session ends this Friday. Hopefully that this this act, this has been a long time coming, you, you mentioned. it's This has been... Uh, pushed for for a while and, and, and still no no movement or, or you feel like you're closer than, than ever? Uh, we're closer than ever, but there still needs to be a push, right? And um, I think we are trying our best to work with Buffalo Public Schools, and I know that other districts are trying to work with their local school districts too, but the more we talk to our colleagues from around the state and other places too, you know, this is actually a national issue because a lot of people know this mm-hmm. framework are saying of the school-to-prison pipeline, which is, is very real, and the data supports that. Um, but I think we really need policy change because we have been trying and trying to put as much as we can in place. And um, I know I started working with Khadijah when she was a, a junior in high school, 
school and stepped in to support her when she was facing suspension. And it's been a couple of years since then. Right, Khadijah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so um, I, I think, you know, seeing that this happened to Khadijah, what, about seven years ago was that at this point? Um, having gone through it recently with my daughter and we're working with lots of different families. Um, Buffalo Schools is making some progress, but it's it's just not quick enough. And I think we need um, some policy change on a state level to really move this forward with a sense of urgency. What are the the restorative practices that that connect and other groups are advocating for? what what can we do in in, in instead of just dishing out suspensions and, and punishments? So one of the things that, so one of the things that we've been kind of advocating for is, uh, well, not kind of, but definitely been advocating for is like trying to get to the root causes of why um, students are the way they are and the reasons why they're getting suspended. Um, one of the things that, in the beginning, we were kind of hearing that there's a lot of like students being violent, fighting, and then now we're starting to notice that with the data being posted and stuff, it's a lot of like insubordinations and students that we're talking to are being suspended for insubordination. So the things that we've been recommending for the schools to do is things that are more trauma-informed, um, trauma-informed ways and also using restorative practices. So trying to get to the root causes and asking the students, like, what's going on with you? How can we help and support you? But that's, like, some of, a lot of the um, times the schools are schools are lacking, asking the students what's going on, how can we support you? A lot of times it's just you didn't come in on time, so here's your detention. If you don't serve in three days, now you're getting suspended, and it's just kind of the same uh, routine over and over with every situation. So we all know that the students are going through, number one, one of the first um, causes of why they are what they are is mental health. But we're not trying to get to, like, the root cause of it, trying to help them. How can we support you and your family with the issue that you have going on? Um, kind of taking a, a detour here, but I think a, a necessary one. Um, I can't help but feel for current-day students uh, and, and, and children, uh, school-age children, because of the last three, four years that we've been experiencing. Um, we've already had a, quite enough stress and trauma collectively as a society, but on top of that, add to, to the, the virtual learning, COVID learning. Uh, our teachers, our educators, and students, but our students primarily, uh, I think I saw that that social or, uh, social studies uh, scores are at the lowest they've been in, in, in decades. Why? Because we've been doing virtual uh, education and that that's been a, a factor I'm, I'm sure um, but w what else can you what other what other uh, what other strife or what other mental stress can are we not seeing besides that potentially from from our students so there's a lot of students especially students that come from cultural backgrounds like myself where we're thought at such a young age to take care of our younger siblings and stuff so a lot of times when our parents go to work and i was one of them myself uh, my mom would go to work she would be out the house by 6 30 and my siblings bus is coming at 7 30 then it becomes my job to put them on the bus so sometimes that can make us late sometimes transportation like buses come late i also remember that when i was in high school i took the five and the three whichever 
However, sometimes I would take the three if the five already skipped me or vice versa. And my bus card actually had the three, although it had the three. Um, from my understanding, we were told that in the morning you can take any bus regardless of what your bus card says. But the drivers were very mean to us, actually. And for mm. some reason, they would not allow us on the bus. And sometimes just the simple fact that the buses are full because it done picked up all those other students that were before me and it would just pass me. So things that are like not in our control, we would, you know, have to face consequences for. It's mental health, it's bus issues, it's, you know, coming from a place where you have to take care of your younger siblings and so many other factors that goes into place that causes, you know, kids to come to school late or come to school on time or late with like certain attitudes and then seeing their parents um, being in a household where it's just toxic and they see parents arguing in front of them and then they have to come to school and be ready to learn like how could I be ready to learn if right. that's what I just experienced we've had conversations also uh, with mental health specialists about just the trauma of, of of the rise of school shootings and and that in itself is another one to unpack for another day another another show but uh, these are all things that just lump them all together it, I I'm, I'm, I'm with you all in that uh, we're not doing enough to kind of help and handhold our, our, our students and, and, and tell them that we're in, in this together and, and hopefully work through some of these. Uh, there are the outliers, and, and, and I want to get into that because at some point, um, but for the most part, everyone wants to do what's best for themselves and learn um, and not waste their time. I don't think anyone wants to go to school and waste their time just being there. They want to get something out of it. Uh, so it's how do we get that, that potential? How do we unlock that potential? And that's that's a, the key of this. Um, so the buses, which all these things are, are there's a lot to unpack and a lot to address. But starting with with an assist from from our educators, I think that's that's a good starting point. Mental health challenges. Do we feel that that there's enough counseling going on in our in our schools? Um, honestly, I think it depends on what school. Um, number one, you're talking about. Um, some schools have more supports than others, and some schools have um, better counselors than others. Me personally, I love my counselors at my school. Um, we have like think three for three different um, last name groups, um, but every school operates differently. And I know some schools um, they don't have the supports that they do need, um, and that definitely makes the situation worse. I know like some reasons why kids are late, reasons why I'll be late is for um because of mental health, because mental health is such like a significant thing going on right now. And as much as, you know, we do have supports, there's still not enough. And that does need to be recognized because the type of things that kids are going through right now, um, it, it's, it's really a lot. And um, just having the supports there would make such an impact on us. I know like when I didn't have the supports compared to like me having the supports now, it has helped me a lot. It has made a big impact on, you know, my mental health now compared to even last year. Of course, I still struggle now, but the supports definitely helped me stay on track. And is that support from from within your school or external uh -huh. So um, like external inside school as well, um, just the school knowing like a little bit more about what was going on with me um got me some more help as well but um just 
really just sitting there and asking a kid, you know, like, what's going on instead of taking everything as, you know, like an attitude or, you know, if a kid is fighting. I mean, kids don't just fight for no reason. There's always right. a root cause. Um, maybe just pulling the kid aside and actually figuring out what's going on because, you know, suspending the kid and just sending them home is just putting a Band-Aid on it. You're really not getting to the root issue, and it's going to keep happening until you really figure out what is the deal. So you're you're 16 years old. You're in you're in the you're in a very pivotal age. I, I always think about this as like I mentioned. I keep going back to my own personal experience with. I am a father of two girls. They're three and two, mm-hmm. and and do I'll blink and they'll be 16. And I think about what current uh, youth of that age or age range are experiencing. Uh, do you feel like they're like counselors and, and, and mental health specialists are addressing the, the things like uh, the one big one for me that I worry about is social media and, and the bullying that can that can back in the day you would your day was over at at two forty five three o'clock. If you had a bully that that was giving you any any trouble, that's it. You could kind of disconnect for a little bit. But now you find that in other forms at, at all times online. Are we doing enough there? Is do we need to is how else can we uh, I guess, tackle that whole monster. Right. So that is a really big issue that I still think that we tend to forget about. Sometimes we go home and we still have to deal with things that happen during the day. Um, The bullying issue and things like that, you know, I've been through that myself since I was a little girl. So I'm someone that um, does really understand and there is not enough support when it comes to that. Um, The amount of times, not even just with me, there's other kids going through bullying or situations and, you know, sometimes it's not easy to go to an adult and just be like, I'm getting bullied and, you know, I need help. Sometimes it's not going to go like that and you have to be flexible and understand that, like, this is a new time and, like, again, with the social media piece, um, people can find ways to do a lot of things, make posts and delete them and you just have to keep an open mind um, and realize that, you know, this stuff doesn't just stay in one place. It can it can go on. I mean, even something that happened last year can still be brought up this year because that's just how social media works. And just realizing that um, there is going to be a lot of issues surrounded around this because it's such a big thing. Like social media is such a huge thing. Um, So it's not going to be a small issue. It is a big issue and we have to look at it like the big issue that it is. And you're also working with Connect now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of as I mentioned off the top, uh, getting getting folks that know what's at what what are the issues at hand as opposed to somebody out from an outsider, uh, and in their perspective, what else do you see that that we're really not addressing as far as is it are is it is it troublemakers actually are there are there are there is there any I know that there was an issue at the at the main library where there was fighting there. Is that is it is it is it the 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 critics will say oh it's it's gangs it's 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 bad bad uh, apples mm. what's what else are we missing there honestly like just understanding a, a child and the experiences that they're going through like we're all going through different things I know teachers have things going on um, administration has things going on so just coming together and coming to an understanding so we can all better help each other. Um, Sometimes a kid comes in, you know, they have something going on at home. They come in with a bad attitude and it's not, you know, it's not okay. But sometimes it'll be directed towards you. And instead of what's wrong, it's that child's disrespectful. Send them to detention, send them to the office and 
you know, who's going to be happy about that? It further escalates and so on, so on. So just sitting there and just like, hey, like, what's going on? Like, you know, do you need to talk to somebody? Can I send you to the counselor's office? Even maybe not during class, but at the end of the class, pulling a kid aside and talking to them and figuring out what's going on would make such a big difference because a lot of the time, most of the time, these things that are going on are misunderstandings. We really just need to sit down and talk to each other, which we don't do a lot of the time. We just want to put a band-aid on whatever the situation is and throw it away because that's the easiest thing to do, but that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Um, so sitting down and just talking to each other and coming to an understanding and really like finding out the root causes of things is the first step. Can I jump in here? Absolutely. Yeah, also, definitely what Syria said is all right. And also just lack of opportunities for our young people in the community. I think it's also one of the issues. Definitely what's wrong. But sometimes it's not necessarily that something is wrong. It's just the simple fact that these kids are bored out here. They don't have enough opportunity out here. Schools give opportunities to the high-standing kids that are having 90s and, you know, very good grades, honorable students. But we don't look at our other students that are struggling. We don't give the same opportunities to them. So how can we give these kids opportunities? And in our program, a lot of times what we do with our parent and student community health worker program is that we intentionally look for people that do not have these opportunities and put them in our program and give them the opportunities. That's how I turn out to be the way I am. Never did I thought that eight years later I would be sitting here as a lead staff in this organization doing the work and actually running the program, helping run the program, because an opportunity was given to me. Someone saw me and saw a value in me and something in me to give me this opportunity. So we lacked to give these opportunities to these kids, quote unquote, that we call bad and consider bad kids gang kids. And a lot of times when we give the opportunity to them, most, most of my students, sometimes we talk when I take them home and they say, like, I never thought I would be able to come into a program like this with, like, my background, the way teachers and staff look at me. I thought you guys were looking for, like, high honor roll students. Man, my grades are just 70s. And I'm like, man, that's the type of kids we're looking for because you guys have potentials out there. It just takes a the best, like, a good adult to recognize that. So when our kids get the opportunities, they can do something with those potentials that they have, but they're not given to them. That's the issue, and I think, in the system, really, as a whole, not just in the Buffalo Public Schools, but the system doesn't give these kids enough opportunities. It's easy to teach applied good kids but the ones that have have something underlying an underlying issue that's what real real work uh needs to take place and and uh you you hope that our educators are doing that but it's 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 hard we mentioned everyone's everyone's waging their own war in their own way some un, untold ways um we're, we're gonna get into more of this uh with the group from connect uh right after this break coming up here on buffalo what's next please stay tuned this was truly the great bonanza of a lifetime. A poor man could head off to the Klondike and come back as a Klondike king, but the risk was huge. Watch the Klondike Gold Rush on YouTube now. The WNED PBS original production tells the legendary story of the Alaska-Yukon Gold Rush. Over 100,000 people traveled to the far north intent on striking it rich. On July 15, 1897, the steamship Portland arrives in Seattle with astonishing cargo, today's equivalent of $30 million in gold. It is the richest gold strike in North American mining history. Historians and authors bring insight and perspective to the event that changed the lives of thousands. And the gold, as one person said later, was as thick as cheese in a sandwich. It was the most incredible strike. Watch The Klondike Gold Rush now on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel.
This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Welcome back to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez. And once again, I'm joined by the group from Connect, Community Network for Engagement, Connection, and Transformation. I've got Jessica Bauer-Walker, her daughter, Saria, and Khadijah Hussein. And we're trying to get to the bottom of, of, of our, our kids, quote unquote, acting up, getting suspended. It seems to be a rampant issue in, in Buffalo. And uh, the group from Connect is trying to get a better, better way of, of reaching the root cause addressing the, the, the needs of our, of our students and hopefully not getting into this predicament in the first place. Uh, uh, I guess happy, happy students pr- produce better students. And mm-hmm. if, we can, if we can get to what's really causing some of these issues that are causing the suspensions, maybe we're going to be, be in a better place. Uh, you also have to talk about the parents because the parents also kind of are hand in hand whenever a child gets suspended. Tomorrow's press conference is also going to, we're going to do a little tease here, but Jessica, you're going you're gonna to announce the Buffalo Suspension Intake Hotline. What is that? Mm-hmm. So we have a group of organizations that has been working closely together um, to provide community supports. A lot of times we're intervening as advocates, going in, supporting students who are facing a suspension, um, trying to focus as much on prevention and diversion as possible, and also making sure that students have their rights upheld. Uh, there's certain things that are supposed to happen underneath the New York State Education Law and the Code of Conduct that oftentimes do not. And so we have been working as advocates um, on the ground and then with our attorney colleagues to to make sure that that happens. Um, so we've, we've come together with New York Civil Liberties Union, Western New York Law Center, UB Law School, um, Community Action Organization, Erie County Restorative Justice Coalition uh, is a collaboration. And we've got a bunch of secondary partners, too. And we've put together the suspension hotline for parents that might need help. So if they don't find us, you know, a lot of times people find us through the various community networks that we have. But we really want to let people know that may not know that there's help out here because we've been through this ourselves. It's a very scary situation. And um, I would never advise anybody to go into that alone, even myself as an advocate that had been working on this for a long time, I really needed help when I was in this situation. So we've launched the suspension hotline and um, parents can call. The number is 716-220-7081. And you can call, you can leave a message and an advocate will call you back, collect some more information and then link you to the appropriate person. That might be an attorney, that might be a peer advocate, um, but we'll make sure the parents are um, getting the help that they need if their child is facing a suspension. And that's currently live already, or is it? That is live, yeah. Okay. So we kind of have soft launched it, and um, we're going to be just trying to get the word out even more over these last couple weeks of school. Suspensions tend to spike this time mm-hmm. of year. And again, um, we're piloting this and then hope to make sure that we're continuing this effort moving into next school year. The, the rise in suspensions, that just assumingly that's the end of the year, everyone's just kind of... At, at the end and in, in the rise of just giving out once again we're we're, we're just putting this this suspension throwing out suspensions but is it is it mainly because of of 
the end of the, uh, the end of the term? Yeah, I think it's a variety of things. We see that, that they tend to spike after state tests a lot of the time. Okay. And then I think just with warmer weather and whatnot, I mean, you see community yeah. violence spiking in the summer months, too. So, um yeah, they, they just they tend to go up for a variety of reasons towards the end of the school year. And we've seen students who are, you know, um, their graduation is put at risk. They're missing proms. They're missing all types of, you know, end of year events, moving up days when they get suspended. And so um, we're really trying to prevent that from happening and let families know that there's help for them. And that just that just breeds more resentment and, and fuels anger and, and some of these other issues that might be at play here. But yeah, I mean, we have so many stories of situations where, um, you know, even just a short term suspension sets something in motion that is really a slippery slope for a student and a family. And it does. It creates disconnection. Um, I think that's part of what we're trying to really promote is is working together. Right. Mm-hmm. Because. Most of the time when we're able to get involved and we go into a school with a student and with a parent and we use this restorative type of approach to say, um, what happened here? You know, what what did you perceive that happened for, to a teacher and administrator? What is the student's perspective? And we try to work together to get on the same page. We can come up with solutions. And a lot of times the students will say, yeah, I made a mistake, right? Um, these are kids. <laughs> they need coaching and support, right? They do make mistakes. They're going to make mistakes. So how do we redirect them? and put the supports in place. And I think um, Saria was talking before about some of the mental health services and supports in the building. The schools can't do it by themselves, right? And so I think that's what's really important is that we build more connections between the students, supportive adults in the buildings, the families. I mean, parents are under an enormous amount of stress. Mm -hmm. Our community in particular, between COVID, the massacre last year, Mm -hmm. the deadly blizzard, um, and just the amount of inequity that we have in our community. We, people have been through so much, right? So parents are struggling too. And I think that we need to um, just recognize that we are all trying our best and that um, you know we need to come together and work together. And so that's what we're also letting teachers and administrators and people that work in schools know that we're out here to help. Um, we're out here to help you too, right? We're out here to help the students and the parents first and foremost because we are students and parents. But when everybody does better, everybody does better. Right. And so how do we work together as a team to make sure that our students stay in school and are healthy, safe, and supported? As far as support, I'm gonna get into, I want to get into what Connect is doing because it's a multifaceted group. Um, first off, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a title, it's a role that, that is heard, but I don't know if everyone knows what it is. CHWs, community health worker. That's what that's what Jessica you are. That's what Khadija you are as well. Saria, you're you're a, a CHW in training, right? So yeah, I'm trained. <laughs> um, I've been doing this for. It's in your lineage. Yeah, it's in your lineage. I've been doing this for a while now. So. What what is a CHW? What does a community health worker do? I I, I my vague. Uh, assumption is like it's a connected tissue, right, between many different groups yeah. of the, the community? Yeah, absolutely. So community health workers, a lot of times people get us mixed up and call us community health care workers. So we, as community health workers, do work in the healthcare system, but that's not where we just work. So healthcare system is part of the work that we do, but we also work um, out all types of different areas. We can be in hospitals, we can be out in the community, we can be out in schools, literally any uh, place that 
that exists, community health workers are there. What we are is we bridge um, the gap between communities and systems. The school system is the one side, um, systems or school systems and the social social service systems and the communities on the other side. So we kind of act as like interpreters for both sides. When the community is kind of struggling, um, cannot you know say, say what they need to the system, we kind of interpret to the system and vice versa. That's basically our role as community health workers. And not just that, but the main thing about community health, health workers is we're um, of and from the communities that mm-hmm. we serve in. So the perfect liaison mm-hmm. for, for these issues. And with Connect, it's it's a number of, of different groups within Connect, but you got your Community Health Worker Network of Buffalo, uh, the School Health and Wellness Collaborative, Peace, Love, and Power, Anchor, Freedom Schools Buffalo. I, don't, you don't have to go too much in the detail, but just kind of a, what, what, what other things are, is, uh, what other things are, 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 are Connect uh, addressing. Yeah, so we started out a little bit over a decade ago as a community health worker network, and it was really what Khadijah was talking about, um, seeing that there was a lot of good efforts, but there was a lot of top-down types of things and people talking about equity in theory versus practice. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to really take ownership. Um, We say a lot of times, nothing about us without us is for us. And so it's really important for us to have ownership of our communities, of our schools, of our neighborhoods. And so um, we have trained up you know, young people, elders, everybody in between over um, more than a decade. And that's really how we started, right? Just as a grassroots effort, working across sectors, also creating more connectivity because um, for a lot of our community-based organizations and the way that funding works, you're a housing organization or you're a mental health organization or you're a domestic violence organization. And people's lives aren't like that, right? People's lives are all those things. (laughs) Um, And so community health workers, even if we specialize in something, like I primarily work in public health and public education, but I've done some work in housing and I have a bunch of colleagues in housing so that if I'm working with a family who's in housing crisis, I have other people to go to. And that's what we're trying to do. Um, over over time, we realized we couldn't just train up the people who are from the community. We needed allies, right? Mm-hmm. We, do, we did need those people in the system. We needed academic partners. We needed physicians. We needed teachers. And so it started from our parent and student community health worker program because we were training up parents and students, and then we were hitting a lot of walls. We couldn't do this work by ourselves, right? Um, so if we were going to have systems change, we needed to, to have other people. And, and we started doing that work. Um, initially in in the school system because we were having challenges making progress as parents and students. So we started to find other allies and had the School Health and Wellness Collaborative so that we could, again, come together um, and, and have an administrator at the table and have a teacher and have a school counselor, have other community partners who are working together to build healthy schools and communities. And that's sort of how our organization has grown over the years from that initial grassroots community health worker network to the School Health and Wellness Collaborative to support our work in the schools and in education. Um, Our next initiative was called Peace, Love, and Power, and it's really related to trauma healing and um, not just, you know, counseling and mental health services, but how do we heal in community? How do we use different types of approaches? We definitely need more, especially community and culturally responsive mental health services. But healing is also coming together and and eating food. That's a lot of what we do is giving people healthy and delicious food and creating opportunities to to break bread. It's um, music and culture and arts. It's ecological practice. It's all these different things, right? And so that space is really a way to bring together um, frontline organizations and people and have a, a 
different kind of approach to trauma and healing and for us to take care of ourselves too because this is really difficult work we're, we're doing this as community health workers because we've gone through it this is a lifestyle for us we don't clock out at the end of the day if we're out on the street and somebody says like hey hey Khadija <laughs> hey Suri hey Jessica can you help me with something or we'll get a call because one of our young people are in crisis we're going to respond to that, right? So we're we're living this all the time, and so that is also another space where we're trying to provide care and support to each other as well. Um, and then our anchor initiative came from uh, in COVID about a week after COVID was announced, and we realized what was going on. We said again, we need to take care of our community, right? Um, what and so we started to mobilize, bring together frontline organizations, and we've dealt with multiple issues related to the pandemic. We have responded to political uprising um, around George Floyd, response to the 514 massacre, to the blizzard. And so again, and it all comes from that initial community health worker type of approach. Um, our Freedom Schools initiative came out of that too because schools were closed down for such an extended period of time mm -hmm. and the, the youth needed something to do. And so we were doing pop-up things in the parks over the summer. We were doing virtual stuff when we couldn't get together, um, but just trying to connect all these issues together. So everything that we do is sort of like scaffolding on each other and just being as responsive as possible to what our community needs and trying to bring people together. I know a lot of parents uh, are, who are probably thankful for all those services, primarily that last one during, during the, the, the craze that was the, the, the pandemic quarantine period. That's, that's huge. Um, just a reminder, we're, we're speaking with Jessica Bauer-Walker, Saria Walker, and Khadija Hussein. Uh, they're all from Connect, Community Network for Engagement, Connection, and Transformation, doing a lot of good work when it comes to addressing the needs of our, of our students, of our of their of their community of their their parents and and their fam, fam, family groups um what do you what do you see as the the biggest concern for parents we're, we're talking about the the student angle but as far as parents are concerned is it is it mainly that that they then have to account for um their, their child uh, being suspended is it is it, it what, what what's the big concern that you're hearing from from parents regarding suspensions so I can <clears throat> sorry I can speak on that so a lot of times parents are like concerned obviously because and I, I focus my work on a whole community but for a little bit I was really focused on the multi, uh, multilingual communities um, hearing a lot of times that parents are saying that when their kids get suspended like them not understanding the language and stuff mm. and it's not even just the multilingual communities. It's even people that are American-born that don't understand the assignments that are given to their children. And when the kid is suspended, they're not able to help their kid, you know, catch up on assignment and with work and everything else that they have going on. It's really hard to sit down with their kids and actually help them so they're not falling behind because they're suspended for five days. And sometimes, like we said in the beginning of our session, um, long-term suspensions could be up to a whole school year sometimes. So if kids are missing all those days out and there's eight classes in the day, it's eight hours, that's eight hours worth of assignments and learning that they're missing out on. And if the parent don't understand the assignment, then that's an issue on them. And I'm also seeing a lot of times where schools are like suspending children multiple times so what we usually call it like the repeat offenses mm -hmm. um, where kids are suspended multiple times because now they have this little um what's it called um 
title or whatever, yeah, you know, stigma, exactly. So it really, really takes that type of kid to do the smallest thing to get suspended again. I've been in a couple of the schools where sometimes, and not even been there as an adult playing a certain role in the school, but being a student myself, because seven years ago wasn't that, that long ago. So I still remember a lot of the experiences I had, and I saw my friends or other kids where they were repeated offense, uh, offenders, and when they come in, the smallest thing, the slightest thing, they could laugh at a teacher, giggle, and now they're in the office getting suspended again. So that kind of stuff. Um, kids are missing out on school days, and then the schools are kind of, in a way, punishing the parents um, mm-hmm. because now CPS is being called because, quote-unquote, your kid is, like, not going to score, what do you call educational neglection or whatever neglect or whatever they call it. So parents are now have like they're stressed out and they're burned out because they're at a place where it's like, what do I do with this kid? I don't have the support. And when they ask for support, sometimes the school starts looking at them like, how, how do you not know how to handle your kid in a way? So it's now like even sometimes embarrassing to ask for support yeah. as a parent. Yeah. yeah, you feel there's some failures there on, 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 on the side of the parent, which is just not what we should be doing. Um, and with all this, I, I, I have to play devil's advocate here because there's going to be a, a, po- a population that's going to say, well... Some kids need the need the punitive action. Some kids need the suspension. Some need some need to be taught a lesson that way. Uh, every every child gets gets educated different different way. What do you say to that that concern? Um, well, I've actually heard that multiple times. We've been working on this for a while now. So there's times where I've been in school and I've had you know teachers, oh, I saw you on the news, or you know questions and stuff like that. Like, well, there needs to be a consequence. Um, you can't just let kids get away with stuff and da-da-da-da. But um, we're not saying that there shouldn't be a consequence. We're not saying that there shouldn't, you know, be accountability for whatever action you caused. We're saying that it doesn't have to be specifically suspensions. Mm-hmm. Because if you really think about it, what are suspensions doing? All they're doing is removing the kid from the school for a little while and then bringing them back and then removing them from the school and bring it's just a, a repeating thing that is really causing more harm than good like we've already said um you fall behind on your work it can affect your mental health if you're already going through you know mental health if you have things going on at home sometimes home is not a safe space for everybody sometimes people you don't know what's going on in homes a lot of the time the communities that kids are coming from are dangerous or harmful and you're just sending them back to that community and then you're not even letting them come back to school you don't know how dangerous that can be sometimes sometimes people go to school to get away from home mm-hmm. so it's really like, okay, what can we do? For example, if somebody is, you know, continuously getting into fights, well, let's pull this kid aside, figure out what's going on with this kid, get the kid the resources and help that they need so they can manage their anger, manage their stress better. That is getting to the root issue. You fixing and are, are getting this kid the help they need um, and helping them manage their stress is really going to fix the issue versus just sending them home for a little bit. That's the band-aid that we're talking about, um, sending them home for a little bit. It's not really fixing the issue. Now, getting them the resources that they need, getting them a counselor, um, you know, just talking to them, that is getting to the issue, and that is what's going to um, actually make a difference in the long run. And I think this framework of restorative justice, uh, a lot of people don't don't understand. Yeah, right. I, I'm looking for hopefully tangible uh, methods of, 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 of yeah. Because there's in all these cases, there's also some some that there's some students that just don't 
Yeah. You know, just so say, let's hardened. say a student gets in a fight, right? And and it maybe that student is is not safe. That student does need to get removed from the classroom for a period of time. We're we're looking at building community supports, right? So there could be um, an in-building suspension, so they're at least removed from the classroom and still in a safe place and still able to get some degree of learning, right? Um, it, it could be that they do need to get linked to a mental health space and and get that type of health help that they need. Um, I, I think it's it's important for us to say what happened here. And there's a very structured process around a restorative conference and a restorative justice type of approach, which says what happened here, who was harmed, and what do we need to do to make things right? And that's a that's a conversation between all, all parties, right? Mm-hmm. And so bringing folks to the table, um, and if at all possible, sometimes it's you know a significant conflict and there's violence and that takes time for things to just cool down. So in the meantime, how can we keep everybody safe, especially those kids, right? Not just send them home, um, but just making sure that they're going into a safe place, right? Number one. But most of the time, again, most of these suspensions in Buffalo schools, they're not for violent behaviors. They're for things right. like disrespect and insubordination. And so how do we bring people together and say, what happened here, right? So many of the times, because we go in, and we talk to all parties and we say what happened here and and to say to a student hey did, did you mean to say that why did you say that and give them an opportunity to take accountability and say you know I was having a really bad day or I'm going through some stuff right now um, to explain why they're coming to school late to me it doesn't make sense and it's not getting us the result that we that we want if a kid's getting late to school because they have some underlying issue with mental health or transportation or a family situation. They get detentions. They don't serve the detentions. Then they get suspended. How are we teaching kids to come to school by removing them from school? Right. That That's just a disconnect, right? And so I think if we use a restorative approach versus a punitive approach, it's a whole different set of questions. It's actually a cultural shift that we need to make in Buffalo Public Schools and in our community where we look at shared accountability, right? Because um, we're about care, but we're also about accountability because there does need to be accountability. This is not saying like everybody gets to do what they want. And again, students need support and coaching. Some of them are not getting it at home. We have young people who um, are become parents when they're still in school, right? When they're teenagers. And so they're not even fully formed adults and now they're in a position to be parents. So our community needs help. <laughs> our people need help. We're here to help, and there is a process and a framework, and I've seen it work in really powerful ways, including in really significant situations that that there is violence. When people can come together and you have a skilled facilitator who's looking at helping everybody become whole, it can be a really transformative process. And I've seen young people who are um, you know, really exhibiting a lot of problematic behaviors and hurting themselves and hurting other people when they're given a chance to work through that and given some supports they can become really powerful allies and are you know, it, some of the best people in the schools who are helping to keep peace and safety. You, you, you I think you, you, you're, you're, you're onto, onto the right track because uh, it, at the end of the day, I mean, well, in all fairness, let's also mention that once again, that the, the, the solutions, not suspensions act is not doing away with suspensions altogether. There are those cases that, that, that there's nothing le- left to do. It's only through pre-K third grade, which I think we can all agree that it's just uh, uh, that age group doesn't learn anything from this. And it's just, if anything, just uh, it's a waste of everyone's time. But um, I we mentioned what what needs to be done, but 
I want to throw a bone, hopefully, where we, where we can, to the to Buffalo school system. Uh, currently, we have Dr. Tanja Williams, who was named in the, in the new superintendent for the for the, the area uh, in early 2022. How would you rate the job being done by them uh, in, at this point? I think that Dr. Williams has done a good job in terms of shifting the tone in Buffalo Public Schools to be more positive and collaborative. Um, we have been strong advocates mm-hmm. in going to Board of Education meetings and um, being assertive about what we what we want and need as parents and students. And sometimes that's uncomfortable, right, for somebody that's sitting in the position of superintendent or a Board of Education. But we've been able to really have meaningful conversations. We also have a parent group. We're one of six parent groups in Buffalo schools. We have a community health worker, parent and student association. And the superintendent meets with us every month and we talk about issues. Um, And and again, I, I think it's important for us to be okay with seeing things differently, disagreeing, um, having some degree of conflict and being able to work through it in a healthy way. And Dr. Williams has shown a willingness to do that. Um, so even, you know, things got a bit heated a couple months ago in terms of the suspension issue. And she came and sat in circle with us. We invited her oh, to be excellent. in a restorative circle with us. Yeah. So um, we came into circle and she sat with our student community health workers and parent community health workers. And it really built a significant amount of, of understanding. And so I'm hopeful that we can um, continue to work through this issue because it's a difficult issue. It, it, it existed before she was here and before we were here. Yeah. And that, um, you know, we can really start to shift and have a, a collaborative and positive tone for coming up with solutions. And now a question for all three of you. Uh, this is Buffalo. What's next? <clears throat> Let's say we've we, we get the the act passed, hopefully in this in the session. What's next after that? What do we need to address as a community when it comes to our our kiddos and, 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 and schools and, and educators and everybody involved in that in that ecosystem. How do we how do we get it even better but to an even better place? I can go. Um, so number one, once the act does get passed, we definitely need to implement it and act on it. I think one of the issues in the system is a lot of times there's good policies out there, but the implementation part is where they lack. So definitely implement it and make sure that we are acting on the act. Um, and also just like Saria spoke on, is just being able to understand like where kids are coming from and what's going on in their environment and things that, you know, outside of school, in school, everything is a holistic approach type of um thing um but and i think that one of the things that i see a lot of times the older folks talk about is like back then we weren't like this or if i was to do this my mama would have never back let me my do days. it <laughs> <laughs> exactly so back in my days Those kids were kids, critics, you know like. like that kind of stuff back in my days kids were kids well also just recognize i'm at an age right now where i'm not old older or but i'm not that young either so mm. i'm just kind of right in the middle i had an experience of where some of my older, um, you know, elders or older people that are older than me kind of experience. And then I have the little bit of experience where the younger kids that are a little bit younger than me experience. So I'm just in the middle and I got, you know, both sides. So a lot of times I try to, like, explain to the older folks, like, it's not like that back then. I kind of got the experience where if I was to act up, my mama will whoop my butt. And that will solve the problem. <laughs> but nowadays you can't whoop these kids' butt and it won't solve the problem. No, okay. So just kind of understanding that it's not the same 
you know, we're not in the same place. And these kids are now woke, so they understand mental health. They're starting to get that they're depressed. They're starting to get that they have anxiety and all these other things where back then we didn't understand that. Like, I thought I was sick. I used to go to the doctor, like, almost every week thinking I was just physically sick because I had stomach issues and all these other things, not knowing that I had a mental health condition. So Mm -hmm. these kids understand that. And now it's weird for the older adults to understand that these things are real because it's like for them... We just kind of ignored it. it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We we don't we didn't talk about it. We ignored it. And what stays in the family stays in the family. And we don't, you know, so these kids are talking about these things and it's kind of uncomfortable for them. So how can we normalize these things and, you know, move on? we got about a minute left. So it's going to be a mother-daughter answer here. <laughs> what do we need to do real quick? Um, like Adisha said, just sticking on implementing this thing and um, sticking to it. A lot of times, like, you know, after it happens, we kind of start to lack um, so sticking to it and sticking on what we're saying, really hearing what we're saying, listening to us kids. Us kids, we're in this whole group together. It's like a little family at this point, and we all are just working off each other and working on building off each other and supporting each other. So after this, just stay supporting each other and stay working on the you know the same goals. Excellent. Ladies, thank you so much. This has been Buffalo What's Next. I was joined by Jessica Bauer-Walker. Saria Walker and Khadija Hussein of Connect, Community Network for Engagement, Connection, and Transformation. And you're listening to WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.